Okay. Oh, how far forward can you see me? Can you see me now? Yes. Yes. So if I'm walking along here, you can see me. No, that's last one. No. I'm back. Can, you can't see me. know you probably know most of it already but this is something you really need to know you know 
Last thing I need is for you guys to get ordained deacons. Those of you who are going to be ordained deacons and get in the parish, and you don't know basic stuff about what happens in the parish. So, um, so this we have to go over in more detail than, say, the election of a pope. We didn't spend a lot of time on that because uh, I don't think any of us in the near future will be involved with the papal election, except maybe commenting on it and edifying our parishioners, but other than that. But the parish, uh, pastors, and all the rest, this we need to know. So, Canon 515, what is a parish? Okay, very important to know what it is. Uh, if we know what it is, then, then we can understand why we do things and, and why we don't do other things. So, 515, uh, section 1, a parish is a certain community of the Christian faithful stably constituted in a particular church uh, whose pastoral care is entrusted to a pastor, parochus, that's the Latin term for what we understand as pastor, as its proper pastor, pastor, under the authority of the diocesan bishop. So the genus is pastor and the species is parochus, right? Um, just so you, you know the, the, the terminology they use, the terminology they use in, in the code, right? Pastor is the, is the general term. Um, I don't know if you can see that in the Zoom, it's, uh, these aren't working too well. Pastor is a general term. So a pastor could be a bishop, could be a pope, uh, could be a pastor of a parish, whatever. And a parochus, that's the Latin term for the pastor of a parish. Thank you. Okay. Do you know, do you know uh, was it Young Frankenstein? Yeah. Thank you, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. What hump? Thank you, Frau Booker. <laughs> what hump? Okay. So, um, not to give that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the guy, the guy who played the monster, uh, I actually met in my parish once. Um, what was his name? Um, so long ago. Oh, Frank. Everybody loves Raymond also. Frank, Frank Lundbrook. I, I don't want to take class time telling you a story about that. But Frank it's, Lundbrook. No. It's a very no. funny story about the, about, uh, I call it the Mel Brooks oh, mass that I had. It was really something. <laughs> Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle, that's it. Peter Boyle, where in the middle of mass, suddenly the front doors of the, of, of the church fly open and in comes the monster. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very nice guy, by the way. But anyway, all right. And it was not Halloween. Pardon? It, was it not wasn't Halloween. Halloween. No, it was around that time of year, though, actually. Okay, so, sorry. So, a parochus and, uh, is, a, is a species of pastor, right? Okay. So, but a parish, certain, uh, first of all, is a community of the a Christian uh, faithful stably constituted. All right, so, so once a parish is, is, is set up, then it's set up. Um, it's not the. the, the the um, uh, diocesan bishop can't decide. Uh, well, let me let me erect a, a, a another parish, you know, right here on Seminary Avenue. We'll just have it up for uh, uh, you know for a few months or something like that. No, it's stably constituted. It's set. It's it's there, you know. Uh, and and once it's set up, and it's a whole for, uh, formal procedure for for setting up a parish. It's not something done lightly. Uh, once it's there, it's there. And then to close a parish or to merge a parish is a whole big Megillah that we don't have we, we don't have any time to get into in this course unfortunately. Um, so so it's a it's a community stably constituted. 
in a particular church whose pastoral care is entrusted to a pastor, Parvus, uh, under the authority of the diocesan bishop. So straightforward but very important, that definition. And then number two, it is only for the diocesan bishop to erect, suppress, or alter parishes. Uh, he is neither to erect, suppress, or alter notably parishes unless he has heard the presbyteral council. Remember what we said about the presbyteral council. The presbyteral council, do they normally have, have um, legislative authority? No, they're consultative. No. It's consultative, right, consultative. So even here, the law says that he is to consult. It doesn't say they make the decision. Okay, that's important to remember. Uh, you will hear once in a while, uh, we had a, a round of uh, closings and mergers of parishes a few years ago, and part of the process uh, was that the, um, uh, the Presbyteral Council had to be heard. So uh, it was a big deal, and of course, some of the guys in the council really liked the fact that uh, here we are making these big decisions, and we're being consulted, and we're making, you know, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, all they were doing was just uh, recommending one way or the other to the, um, uh, to, to, uh, to the cardinal. They, they don't have the, dis the decision-making power, but he's required to, um, um, to listen to them. Okay. Um, and number three, uh, a legitimately erected parish possesses juridic personality by the law itself, right? So we know what a juridic person is. Don't forget that term. Uh, it's important to study as well. Um, then Canon 516, you do not need to know, Canon 516, quasi-parish, you know, um, all these entities that are kind of half-assed parishes, you know, they're kind of on the way to being a parish, but they're, they're, they're not real parishes, okay? Um, and <clears throat> Canon 517, you do not need to know, but it's, 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 it's almost quaint in the United States. Now, it's almost quaint. It says, uh, when circumstances require the pastoral care of a parish or a different parishes together, can be trusted to several priests in solidum, you know, together. And one of them has to be, uh, must be the moderator. So uh, imagine having the luxury of several priests who are, uh, who are in charge of one parish. What we have is just the opposite. What we have is one priest in charge of several parishes rather than uh, several priests in charge of one parish. You know? so, um, so you can skip 517. That's not going to come up anytime soon. Um, uh, uh, you know, except for a religious community or something like that. Um, 517 number, number two, though, um, it's, it mentions deacons, so let's, uh, let's read it. Um, if because of the lack of priests, the diocesan bishop has decided that participation in the exercise of the pastoral care of a parish is to be entrusted to a deacon, to another person who is not a priest, or to a community of persons, he is to appoint some priest who, provided with the powers and faculties of the pastor, is to direct the pastoral care. And we'll see what's going to happen, you know, um, but this is why it's so important that you guys learn your stuff, because uh, you're going to have more and more stuff to do as, as the number of priests uh, continues to, to, uh, to go down. Um, and it's, it's happening already, and it's going to happen more, that, that um, perhaps you know, some of you will end up basically being in charge of a parish. You know? um, and there'll be a priest somewhere who, uh, who has the authority of a pastor, because uh, you, you, know, you can't hear confessions in the same mass and so forth, but you, will, uh, you, know, you could very well have, uh, be in charge of the parish. 
Yeah, I think I mentioned to you my, my own uh, parish business manager uh, when I was down at Most Holy Redeemer as the pastor. He's a Petruco. Basically, 517 number two applied to her. Um, uh, not, not in a formal sense, but, uh, uh, but in, in, a, in, a, in a, just a factual sense that um, she basically, the, past, the parish was basically entrusted to her because I was up here as I you know, still am. I had the same schedule when I was pastor as I, I, I do now. I was up here Monday and Tuesday. You know, uh, I had no time even to talk to her on, on either of those days. Uh, she was in charge of the parish, basically. And that can be, uh, become something that, that is formalized. Um, and I dare say that's going to happen you know, um, when, uh, in, in the not-too-distant future uh, with the dwindling number of priests. Because these four guys you see running around here, you know, our seminarians, they're great, they're full of energy, they're full of enthusiasm. But you, know, you need to pray for them because they're going to get out there and you know, they're going to be hit by so much that they have to do because they're replacing, each one of them will be replacing several priests. You know? So, um, so just to note that, um, the pastoral care of a parish is to be trusted to a deacon, another person, etc. cetera, uh, who's not a priest, but um, still there is a priest who has the power and faculty of the pastor who is to direct everything. But the day-to-day -day running would be left up to you or whoever is appointed. Okay. Um, <clears throat> canon 518 um, is a uh, canon that uh, has a certain amount of Controversy, actually, um, as, a, as a general rule, a parish is to be territorial. Right? That is one which includes all the Christian faithful of a certain territory. When it is expedient, however, personal parishes are to be established, determined by reason of the right language or nationality of the Christian faithful of some territory, or even for some other reason. Uh, when they came out with the new code of canon law, uh, was it? That, yeah, it was in, in process. Uh, I, I remember. Um, talking to a pastor who was very upset that they were uh, still sticking to the idea of a territorial parish. Uh, as a pastor of my, um, the, the, the parish where I, I said my first mass 40 years ago today uh, at Corpus Christi uh, Church on 121st Street in Manhattan. And it was known for having really, really beautiful liturgy. I mean, and it, um, it, it was the place for liturgy back, back then. And I was very blessed to have my first mass there because uh, the music and just everything was just incredible. But, um, but people attended that mass from all over. People came in from Pennsylvania, from Connecticut, from New Jersey, all the rest. So the pastor there was very interested in getting rid of the notion of territorial parish. You know? and, um, and it led to problems even for me when I was a seminarian because that was my home parish, as far as I was concerned. You know, um, I was going to Columbia University, and, uh, which is right near there, and so I considered my home parish. Once I came here, I, I think I might have mentioned this to you at some point, you know, I lost my uh, quasi-domicile at uh, Columbia University. So as far as the, the, the canon lawyer here was concerned, my, my domicile was my parents' home in New Jersey. And at one point he said to me, you know, you know, Billy, your pastor doesn't even know you, you know, because I never went to Mass there. I went to Corpus Christi, you know. So uh, anyway, they worked it out somehow. But, um, so the idea, it's, but it's still the rule that uh, we go, uh, we have territorial parishes. And this applies to all sorts of things, with weddings and all sorts of things. You need permission from the pastor for this, that, or the other thing. So, you have, uh, so you, we need to be aware of this fact. There are other types of parishes as well uh, that we call personal parishes. Uh, typically, you see um, there's a whole, a whole history of personal parishes in New York City. 
there would be an Italian national parish, right? Uh, there would be a Polish national parish. I was, um, for a while when I was working on the tribunal, I was uh, living in residence in a German national parish, uh, St. Joseph's in Yorkville, on uh, the Upper East Side, East 87th Street. And, um, but that lay within the territory of, uh, geographically, of Our Lady of Good Counsel Church, where I moved some years later, actually. You know, so it can be confusing. So the uh, German National Parish, you belong to it if you're German, you know, so you, you choose to belong to it, you know, or an Italian National Parish or something like that. So the, the German National Parish, uh, there would be Germans who would come for, you know, I, I know a little bit of German, so I was able to say mass in German and preach in English, and they were fine with that. And, but you'd have uh, German people coming from all over, you know, uh, because it was, a German celebration, a German mass. You know? So a personal parish um, could be, it's typically it's, it's based on nationality, but it could be based on other things. You know? um, could have a campus ministry type personal parish, you know, for, for uh, uh, students and faculty of a particular university, something like that. Okay. Um, so what is a what is a pastor? What is a parochus? Five nineteen. Um, the pastor, the parochus, is the proper pastor of the parish entrusted to him, exercising the pastoral care of the community committed to him under the authority of the diocesan bishop, in whose ministry of Christ he has been called to share, so so that for that same community he carries out the functions of teaching, sanctifying, and governing, also with the cooperation of other presbyters or deacons and with the assistance of lay members of the Christian faithful according to the norm of law. So he's basically the representative of the bishop in that particular parish, is, is, is what it's saying, right? Um, he, he, um, he exercises his authority, um, he exercises pastoral care under the authority of the diocesan bishop. That's number one, always under his authority. Some pastors um, ignore that fact, but it's, under, it's always under the bishop's authority. He's acting for the bishop. Uh, and it says, in whose ministry of Christ he has been called to share. All right, so it it's all comes from the ministry of the bishop. And the, the, the pastor is, uh, is, is his you know, representative, his um, you know, eyes and ears or something in, in that particular parish. Um, so, which means that that parochus, that, that uh, pastor, carries out the, the bishop's functions, you know, those, those three functions that we, we've seen teaching, sanctifying, and governing. Uh, the, the, the pastor is doing that, that, that role of the, of, the, of the bishop for the diocese, he's doing that um, in his, uh, he's doing that for the bishop in his own particular parish. Right? And then you have this wish list, also the cooperation by the presbyters, right, you know, okay, we can find other priests in the, in the parish at this point, but yeah, others who might be in the parish, maybe other priests, uh, we hope maybe some deacons, and then, of course, uh, lay members of, of the Christian faith. Okay. But he's, he's, he is the, he's basically, he is the bishop in the, in the parish. Um, so 519, you need to know, uh, don't worry about 520. Um, uh, 521, um, uh, well, don't worry about that. It's, it's, it's important to, to know in a general way, but, but uh, uh, not for an exam or anything. Um, uh, having said that, sorry, don't want to confuse you. Canon 521, uh, you need to know Canon 521, 
number one. That you need to know. 521 number one. What, what are the qualifications of a pastor? To become a pastor validly, remember what we saw about uh, the use of the term you know, valid, validly, and so forth in canon law? When you see that word being used, then it means what it says. All right? This is for validity. So to become a pastor validly, one must be in the sacred order of the presbytery. So if one is not a priest, then one, is not, uh, was, one does not become a pastor validly. This, this affects validity. And there, you know, bishops are tempted to, uh, to say, look, I just don't have enough priests. I don't want to close a parish, so I'm going to appoint, you know, sister, whoever, you know, to be the pastor. No, not. You know, we have that previous canon that said you can, you can appoint somebody to be in charge of the parish, but under the ultimate authority of someone who basically is a pastor, even though he's probably not there most of the time. So that's important. 521, number one, you need to know. Become a pastor validly, one to be in secular confederate. Um, and the rest uh, is for the bishop to worry about. Okay. Canon, um, canon 522 is, is also an important uh, canon to know, um, especially as, uh, as we're, we're losing um, priests, we're, lo uh, we're losing people who are capable or, or are qualified to be pastors. And there is this, they, it's this compulsion, it's American compulsion uh, we've got to move people around. We've got to move people around. We can't, we can't just leave somebody in some place. No, that's not good. Keep moving them around, you know? I think it, it, it makes chancery officials feel that they're important or something like that. But this whole idea, got to move the priests around. Keep moving them, keep moving them, keep moving them. Why? You know? Um, canon law says just the opposite. Uh, this is important because um, in, in the years ahead, this is something that I hope that they will begin to take a look at. Um, canon 522. A pastor must possess stability. That's the number, the number one concern of Canon 522. And therefore, is to be appointed for an indefinite period of time. That's what it says. That's what Canon Law says. Then there is a concession. The diocesan bishop can appoint him only for a specific period if the conference of bishops has permitted this by a decree. So notice the good that is at stake here in this, in this canon. Stability. The, the Christian people have a right to stability, you know? And you yourselves might know from your own experience, you know, if, if there's a pastor, I hope you've had experience of a, of a, a, a pastor, a beloved pastor, um, and uh, the idea that the church has is that, you know, you get married and you move into this parish with this uh, great pastor, and you, you have kids, and they're baptized by the pastor, make the first communion, and they grow up, and then they're married by the pastor, and so forth. And, and he's, he's the father. He's the spiritual father. He's there. You know? That's what the church envisions. Not you know, these corporate executives who keep getting moved around. That's not, that's not the mind of the church. But in America, you know, we, we don't have that mindset. You know? And, and it's, it's more the corporate executive mindset. So we keep moving people around. I, I think to the detriment of the church. You know? um, so it allows terms for a pastor by way of concession. By way of concession. But, but what, it, what it wants is stability. That a pastor is appointed for an indefinite period. And notice also it says, the diocesan bishop can appoint him only for a specific period if the Congress of Bishops has permitted this by decree. He can appoint him. He doesn't have to. You know, no bishop is bound 
to appoint somebody for a six-year term. You know, he can do what he wants. He can appoint a guy to be very definitely if he wants. But um, and anyway, there's a whole history that I want to get into because there's so much politics involved. Because back around the time I was ordained, when they had more priests, um, there were younger priests who were um, who wanted to get the plum parishes, and so they were very interested in having term limits for pastors so they could get their hands on a, on a plum parish. And quite frankly, that's what's that's what's involved with, with a lot of this. It's just politics. So anyway, you had I, think, I think that's a, no. I was just going to say. So did the USCCB at some point issue a decree. Right, oh. yeah. So bishops are permitted to do this. They're not required to do this. But it seems that bishops love to have their hands tied about this, you know? Um, you know, because the, then you have a meeting of the priest council and you have on the priest council guys who want the better parishes and they want to get rid of the old guys and, and, uh, and so they can move into the parish and have you know, a nice, you know, wealthy parish, whatever they, they prefer and so forth. So you have the priest council saying, oh yeah, yeah, term limits for priests, you know? And, and this also creates busy work for chancery officials, because we have to keep term, uh, have to keep uh, track of the terms of the pastors and all this kind of stuff. And this is oh, this is great. We have, we've got this mushrooming bureaucracy and so on and so forth. You know? So some guys love this, you know. And so you, you have these discussions at priest councils, and 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 the bishop, you know, wants to placate everybody and says, sure, yeah, let's do this. Okay, so here's this is going to be our policy, and I'm I'm bound to this policy. No, you're not, Your Excellency, or your. I won't say anything about Cardinal. <laughs> this is before his time, anyway. But no, you're not, Your Excellency. You're not bound by that. You know. So, um, and I occasionally had a bishop who asked me. You know, he had a situation of some kind, um, and he, uh, he, you know, years later now, after after these 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 rules or whatever they are in in in, in uh, diocese going to effect, years later. Bishops find themselves without enough priests, you know, in parishes, and so I, I've had bishops occasionally ask me, "Well, you know, what? Um, yeah, I have Father So and So in this parish, and his term, you know, or his terms, whatever it is, are up. You know, I'm supposed to move him, but I have no one to replace him. And what am I going to do?" And I, I say, "Your Excellency, just leave him where he is. <laughs> You're not bound by those laws." You know? I mean, that might be your stated policy, but you don't have to follow that policy all the time. If somebody asks you why you're changing the policy, say, well, I have very good reasons here. You know? So um, anyway, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how things develop you know, as, as time goes on and we have fewer and fewer parish, uh, pastors. Okay. So 523. Um, OK, don't worry about 523. Um, don't worry about 524. Uh, don't worry about 525. Um, we can skip 526. Pardon? We can skip 526. You already spoke about it. Yeah, well, let's just mention it because it's important, right? Uh, can a 526, a pastor is to have the parochial care of only one parish. Nevertheless, because of a lack of priests or other circumstances, the care of several neighboring parishes can be trusted to the same pastor. And that's going on now with increasing frequency. Right. Um, uh, yeah, okay. But anyway, one, one pastor per parish is the rule. So yeah, can a 526 number one is important to know because uh, this will be, it's already being invoked um, yeah, in, in my own former parish. Right? 526 number one. Father Chris next door. Pardon? Father Chris next door. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Father Sean. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, 
Okay. Uh, don't worry about Canon 527. And then, um, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all. These are great canons that um, if I had some, well, I have perhaps one future pastor here anyway, so um, that I would urge future pastors to meditate on, right? Because uh, the pastor is minister of the word. He goes into a lot of detail about the, the, uh, the, the, the job requirements of a, of, a, of a pastor. So he's minister of the word uh, and um, the three the threefold munera, right? The um, teaching, uh, sanctifying, and governing, right? So it goes into each of those. Minister of the word, teaching, minister of sanctification, um, and, then, um, and then governing, right? Um, we, we, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that now. Um, so, uh, although, um, Canon 529, we don't have time, time to get into this in detail about governance, but um, he's, the pastor is described to the faithful and trusted music families. I mean, all these things that he tells the pastor to do, it, it's, it's great if you have a, you know, a parish that isn't too huge, but if you're one, in one parish that where uh, there used to be five priests or something like that, and it's, all, it's just you, you know, kind of have to do that. But anyway, this, it lays out the ideal. And um, just to note 529 number two, a pastor is to recognize and promote the proper part which the lay members of the Christian faith will have in the vision of the church by fostering their associations for the purposes of religion. Um, so uh, anyway, it just shows that he is to have a proper role for the lady and the role in the church. You don't need to know that, just pointing that out to you. Um, and then it goes into a whole list, Canon 530, of functions that are particularly entrusted to a pastor. Uh, baptism, which will be delegated to you guys, uh, I presume. Um, and it goes on from there. But you, again, you don't know, need to know that. Um, oh, let's not get into stole fees, Canon 531. Um, don't forget that. Um, 532, you don't need to know this for an exam, it's just, it's just, it's just uh, for your, your general knowledge. No juridic affairs, the pastor represents the parish according to the norm of law. He's a representative. So, um, Canon 533, not for an exam, but just so for your own information when you're dealing with an absentee pastor. <laughs> uh, Canon 533, a pastor is obliged to reside in a rectory near the church. Um, he, he can, sh you know, they're, they're always talking about having a house shared by several presbyters, and everyone says, oh, isn't that a great idea, until someone's asked, well, would you, you know, ask the priest, would you like to do that? Well, no. <laughs> but, um, Canon 533, number two, again, you don't need to know this for an exam, but you need to know it for life. Um, a pastor is permitted to be absent from the parish each year for a vacation for at most one continuous or, or interrupted month. Right, that's his vacation, one month. Right? It used to be two months in the old code. They, they, they changed it. But, um, uh, and though the time he spends in retreat is not computed the time of vacation, um, uh, technically it says in order to be absent from the parish for more than a week, a pastor is bound to inform the local ordinary. That's rarely done. You know, my uh, Father Conley uh, in my, my parish just uh, got back from it. A two-week pilgrimage to uh, to Italy, you know, with uh, 
with the pilgrim group. Um, I'm, I don't think he told the, the bishop, and, and guys don't, don't usually do that. I mean, he made all the arrangements he had to, the parish was taken care of, and he went his very way. Um, okay, but anyway, don't worry about, about that can, can of 533. Uh, 534, uh, just for your information, not for, not for an exam, um, the Misa Pro Popolo, right? Uh, the, the Misa Pro Popolo, the, the priest, the pastor is required uh, each Sunday and uh, Holy Day to offer a Mass for the people of his parish. Right? Um, uh, just so you're aware of that, because that's, that's very important. Um, and then, um, okay. Canon 535, you need to know uh, in a little bit of detail. Uh, Canon 535. Each parish is to, have a, is to have parochial registers, that is, those of baptisms, marriages, deaths, and others as prescribed by the Conference of Bishops or the Diocesan Bishop. The pastors to see to it that the registers are accurately described and carefully observed. Um, and uh, see, we won't get into details here, uh, but you're going to be dealing with these. Maybe we should just mention it so you, you've seen it. I won't, I won't require this on an exam, but, but just be aware of this because you're going to be dealing with this. In the baptismal register are also be, to be noted confirmation and those things which pertain to the canonical status of the Christian faithful by reason of marriage uh, without prejudice to the prescript of Canon 1133. Um, uh, these notations are always to be noted on a baptismal certificate. When you're ordained a deacon, they will make a notation on, in, your, in, the, in your, the baptismal record where you were uh, baptized. Right? And if you need to get a copy of your baptismal um, record uh, for whatever reason after you're ordained a deacon, it must show, there's a section on for notations, it will show ordained a deacon, blah, 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 right? That's important, yeah. Uh, Father, I always knew that, but I never understood how it works. So if I'm baptized in this church, and then I move, and I receive my confirmation in that church, or I'm married in this church, how do they transmit that information to? They're required to, that's very, very important. And how they, they means you. you. Deacon. Me as the deacon. You as the deacon, doing the baptism will require, you know, doing a doing a wedding, for right. instance, will be required to uh, convey that information to the parish of baptism. So okay. if I'm married in another church, presumably the priest or deacon that married me would then transmit that information to where right. I was baptized. Right. I see. Yeah. So if you, if you then attempt to become a priest, <laughs> it's an ingenious uh, uh, system when 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 guys follow the rules, you know, because. All these things have to be required. Have to be recorded. Uh, confirmation uh, sometimes is recorded. Uh, should be, but uh, but definitely anything that affects a person's canonical status. So marriage, uh, religious profession, ordination. You know, so it's very important. Um, so gives me a trip back home. Pardon? An excuse for a yeah. trip back home. No, you simply you simply write. <laughs> no, no, it's no, not no, all the time. I do it in person. Probably. Yeah. You'll be doing this all the time. We'll get to this in a bit if we have time to talk about baptism a little bit. Um, uh, not baptisms. No, we, I'm sorry. You will, we will be getting to this uh, for, for weddings. Uh, when you do a wedding, the, the, um, each of the parties has to bring you, if they're, if they're baptized Catholics, each of the parties has to bring you a recent copy of their baptismal certificate. Not the one that, that's been sitting in the drawer for the past 25 years, but a recent one which means that somebody in, in the parish where they're baptized has to go to the register and write down all the information, including previous marriages, you know, religious profession, all that kind of stuff, you know. 
Uh, so, you're, so you are sure that the person is free to marry. Okay. That's very important. Okay. We'll, we're going to get to that. Um, uh, each parish is to have its own seal, number three. Okay. Uh, documents regarding the canonical status of the Christian faithful and all acts which can have juridic importance are to be signed by the pastor or his delegate and sealed with the parochial seal. You'll, if you haven't already uh, seen that, you'll you know, ask them to show it to you in, in the parish. The seal is very important. Always put that on a baptismal certificate, for example. Um, in each parish, there's to be a storage area or archive in which the parochial registers are protected, along with letters of bishops and other documents which are to be preserved for reason of necessity or advantage. Um, um, so they have to be protected, is basically what, it, what it's saying. Um, and you'll see this in, in each parish. They, usually they keep these things in a safe, or you know, they're supposed to keep it in some place that, that, that will prevent people from you know, breaking in and so forth. Okay. So yes, yeah, so Canon 535, what I just pointed out is what you need to know. The rest of you don't need to know. Uh, the pastoral council. Uh, this is something for your day-to-day -day life. I think parish councils are coming back to life now um, after uh, COVID. Um, uh, you're all familiar with the parish council. Um, how many are familiar with the uh, was the Twitter site Susan from the parish council? Anybody? No. No one's ever seen it. Oh, oh, too bad. I I, I think it's uh, they're not. Whoever was doing it isn't doing it now, but it was very, very funny. Because there's a type. You've all met her. Susan from the parish council, you know? And she, she's, she's the pastoressa, right? She tells the, 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 um, the pastor what to do and so on and so forth. She's the one who knows everything. You know? we, have, we have one of those in our parish. Of course you do. Of course oh. you do. Everybody has one of those. Yeah. Our parish is Margaret Flanagan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny. There, there's a, uh, a character in that website or whatever it is, Twitter feed. Uh, so you have Susan from the Parish Council, and then she has her problems with Father Youngtrad. <laughs> Youngtrad. Well, in our parish, guess what? You know, so um, Susan from the Parish Council is Margaret Flanagan, and Father Youngtrad, those of you who know him, is Father Sean Conley. If anybody's Father Youngtrad, it's Father Sean Conley. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm investing in popcorn to watch, to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, the parish, the parish council, the parish pastoral council, Canon 536, uh, points out right away, you don't have to have this. Uh, you know, a bishop doesn't have to uh, require this, but he can. So number uh, 536, number one, if the diocesan bishop judges it opportune after he has heard the presbyteral council, a pastoral council, the parish council, right, is to be established in each parish over which the pastor presides and in which the Christian faithful, together with those who share in pastoral care by virtue of their office in the parish, assist in fostering pastoral activity. A pastoral council possesses a consultative vote only. I repeat, a pastoral council possesses a consultative vote only, okay, and is governed by the norms established by the diocesan bishop. Um, I've encountered, maybe you've encountered parish councils that think they run the parish, you know, and when, when they vote on something, that determines what it is, you know. I, I, I came into this situation in the parish that I, I, where I was just pastor. It, it, was a, it was a mess, you know. And you had a lot of kind, of kind of hardened leftists, you know, that you tend to find down in the East Village, you know. 
And so that was their approach to the parish. You know, the, um, you know power, power to the, not to the, not power to the people, but power to our oligarchy. You know, we're going to run things. You know, and you had these so-called parish council meetings. This is before I arrived. They were basically town hall meetings. So you had, and they were all leftists, and they all came in, and they were shouting and carrying on, and you'd have like 100 people, you know, sh you know, yelling at the pastor and yelling at representatives from the diocese and everything, and it's just crazy. That wasn't a parish council. That was just uh, a melee of some kind. Yeah. So parish council is there. If you had, um, in parish council, you, you want to have people, you guys probably can't see me then. You want to have people who are qualified, who are good practicing Catholics, who are there to, um, to help the, past, the, the pastor and to help the parish fulfill its role to proclaim the gospel, you know? And uh, when I came, came in, you know, I, I, I had to tame the parish council and actually have a real parish council, so I appointed certain people. Uh, and then other people tried to cram into the meetings anyway. And, uh, it, was, it was really crazy. But even when I'm looking back, I was much too concerned about kind of trying to placate certain elements in the parish, you know? So so-and-so from the Catholic worker, so-and-so from this, uh, no offense to any Hispanics, but there, there's, there's different Spanish factions who are all fighting each other in that parish. Um, so, so I had to be represented from each of the, of the Spanish factions, you know, uh, all this kind of thing. And looking back, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, if I had to do it again today, and I recommend this to my successor, get good people who are gonna do work for you, who really have the, 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 the concern of the parish at heart, who want to proclaim the gospel, um, and and listen to them. You know, that, and that's what, it, that's what a parish council is. Um, it's supposed to help the pastor carry out his work, which is all about the salvation of souls. It's not about placating mm -hmm. you know, different uh, special interest groups. Right? Um, <clears throat> but again, only a consultative vote. Uh, parish finance finance council the, the parish uh, the parish council the parish pastoral council you may or may, may not have you know look to the bishop if, if he wants to require it he may leave it up to the judgment of the pastor whatever it is so that's optional parish finance council is not optional all right this you have to have so uh, canon 537 is very important okay in each parish there is to be a finance council which is governed in addition to universal law by norms issued by the diocesan bishop and in which the Christian faithful selected according to these same norms are to assist the pastor in the administration of the goods of the parish without prejudice to the prescript of 10532. Okay, so, um, so just be aware that there is to be a finance council. They assist the pastor. It does not say that they have, uh, um, they have voting privileges. They have only consulted to vote, but uh, they're there to assist the pastor. Um, the parish finance council uh, is separate from the parish trustees. Right, you've all heard about the parish trustees, right, in New York. Um, it's, it's because of New York civil law that you have to have parish trustees, you need two trustees. Um, typically they are members of the, of the parish finance council. Sometimes they are the parish finance council, uh, but they're separate, right? So you have, a, you have a parish finance council required by canon law. You have the parish trustees required by civil law. And every year the, uh, the vicar general sends a note to, to the uh, Every pastor reminding him he's got to appoint, you know, trustees. Um, okay, we won't worry about 538. Uh, let's get 538. Uh, 539. Um, just so you know what this is, 539. 
When a parish becomes vacant or when a pastor is prevented from exercising his pastoral function in the parish by reason of captivity, exile, or banishment, right, uh, incapacity or ill health or some other cause, the diocesan bishop is to designate as soon as possible a parochial administrator. That is a priest who takes the place of the pastor according to Norm Canon 540. Um, that's basically all, all you need to know. He's somebody who kind of holds the spot. He's not supposed to make any big changes uh, while the pastor's away. So if the pastor is sick, whatever it is, unfortunately, uh, we've had a number of priests who were accused of things, and, and the protocol is that if, if, if there is some kind of a quote-unquote credible accusation, which means, you know, it's physically possible it could have happened, that's all that means, you know, um, then the priest is removed until they, they, you know, examine the situation, so on and so forth. When the, when the pastor is removed, not forever, but for the time being, then they appoint an administrator, right? Uh, there's the practice in the Archdiocese of New York to appoint first-time pastors as administrators um, for, for a year. That's so that uh, everybody can see how they do. Uh, the, the man himself can see if he's comfortable with this, if he wants to continue. Um, the, the, diocese, the Archdiocese can see uh, if this is a good fit, and so on and so forth. And then after a year, typically, in most cases, they appoint him as a pastor. You know? That happened with, I don't know if you know Father Brian Graby, who teaches, uh, teaches here uh, as an adjunct, a young, um, uh, a young priest who just got his, uh, his doctorate a couple of years ago. Um, and they were desperate for somebody at Old St. Patrick's Cathedral downtown. So he, um, he agreed to go there as administrator, because he was first parish, young guy, and after a year he was appointed a pastor. So Father Sean Conley right now is administrator. And just pray, by the way, pray that, because he's such a good fit for that place. He's, he's just amazing what he's doing down there. Um, he, he's going to evangelize the whole the whole village. I mean, I, th I think the whole village is going to become Catholic before he before he finishes his term as pastor. But we have to make sure that they do appoint him as pastor because they love to move people around. When he was in our parish, yeah. he got a group of boys who had finished eighth grade and a group of girls who had finished eighth grade, and he formed two societies: the Sodality of Saint Aloysius for the boys and Maria Goretti for the girls. And they were packed, and they went on pilgrimages, and they did Eucharistic adoration, and it was amazing. Friday night, remember Friday night? Uh, was it this past Friday night? The wind and the rain. Remember how awful it was? I, I was out. I was driving down to that parish, and I, and I could barely see my way at one point. That night, uh, if you remember St. Anne's in Ossining, anybody? Yeah. yeah um, there was a, a group of almost a hundred parishioners from St. Anne's in Ossining who were making a pilgrimage to our parish down in the East Village. And they walked through all of that all night long. It took them 11 hours to go uh, 33 miles at the oh, wow. And then they were, and I have pictures on my iPhone, I'll show you at the break. Uh, then they arrived at the parish, and they're all joyful, they're all there. And there's a picture of one guy going up the main aisle in the church on his knees, you know? Because uh, the, the parish should be a center of pilgrimage. There's so many, uh, Relics of saints there, and, and it, it was uh, a, a shrine for, uh, still is technically a shrine for Our Lady Perpetual Help. It's, it's an amazing place. But that's all Father Conley, you know, because he's inviting people to come. So they had this amazing pilgrimage, you know. Um, so yeah, so that's what you need. I mean, he's going he's to convert the whole village. I'm convinced. <laughs> so, um, and again, I'm, I'm getting my popcorn ready because this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Wish we had, we had, you know, more, more like it. What, what is it that uh, 
Saint John, he's a great admirer of Saint John Vianney. And uh, what is it, what is the devil said to John Vianney? I think something like, if there were two more of you, my kingdom would fall, or something like you, you know? So, yeah, you get a great priest like Father Conley, boy, you know? It doesn't matter, we don't, you know, we, we could use 10, 10 priests. He's doing work with 10 priests, but he's doing it really well, so. Anyway, so, um, so, so that's what an administrator is. He holds the place of a, of, a, of a pastor. He basically does what a pastor does, um, but he's, he's not to, to make any really serious innovations uh, that would prejudice the pastor himself. So I'm, we're not gonna get into detail on that, just so you're aware what an administrator is. For a while, the archdiocese, uh, or one year I think it was, maybe a couple of years, the archdiocese was appointing everybody all the new pastors were appointed as, as administrators. They wanted to be able to move everybody around at will. And it was a time of, of a lot of changes. They were merging parishes and closing parishes and all this. And they, they, the whole scene was so topsy-turvy, they wanted to appoint everybody as administrator. You know? But that's that's not what Canon wanted to do. Anyway, so administrators, you know what it is. Um, so don't worry about, um, I mean, for your, for your own information, because it will come up in your life, you might want to read over 540, the, the, the uh, responsibilities of the administrator, but not for an exam. Um, so, um, can 541, um, and this may come up because they have this, uh, this, this, this quaint practice of having, having priests we call parochial vicars, you know? They're becoming like dinosaurs now because uh, we have so few priests. Uh, it's, it's a luxury uh, to have a parochial vicar. But we still have a few, right? Uh, Canon 541, when a parish becomes vacant or a pastor has been impeded from exercising his pastoral function before the appointment of a parochial administrator, the parochial vicar is to assume the governance of the parish temporarily. Um, that, that's, uh, that's basically all you need to know. And it's just common sense. I mean, you know, if the, if the, the pastor, uh, you know, God forbid, is, is, is out sick suddenly, you know, and, um, and he's gotta be out for, you know, a month or something like that, and it happens suddenly, well, who's in charge? Well, the parochial vicar, obviously, you know, so, um, so just for your own information, you need to know 541, but not for, not for an exam. Uh, don't worry about Canon 542, um, or 543, or 544, okay? You don't, don't, don't need to know those. Then uh, the Office of Parochial Vicar, uh, Canon 545, um, whenever it is necessary or opportune in order to carry out the pastoral care of a parish fittingly, one or more parochial vicars can be associated with the pastor. As co-workers with the pastor and shares in his solicitude, they to offer service in pastoral ministry by common counsel and effort with the pastor under his authority. Um, uh, uh, the different types of parochial vicars. But basically, a parochial vicar, uh, obviously, um, is, is associated with the pastor. He's a co-worker. But, um, and what are the requirements for a parochial vicar? Canon 546, first of all, to be appointed a parochial vicar validly, excuse the word validly, that means what it says then, validly, right? One must be in the sacred order of the presbyterate to be a parochial <laughs> vicar, right? Um, uh, you can skip 547. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
Well, 548, uh, just in general, you don't need to know that really for an exam, but <coughs> um, he's, um, number two, he's, he's to uh, assist the pastor in the entire parochial ministry by reason of office, right? And to substitute for the pastor if the situation arises according to the norm of law, so that he can do that sometimes, right? That, that's what it means, parochial vicar. He is the vicar of the parochus. He acts for the parochus, right? Um, so, not for an exam, but just in general, 548 number two. Um, so, uh, and also, again, 549, uh, just in general, not for an exam, but uh, unless the diocesan bishop has provided otherwise, unless there's a parochial administrator, the precepts of Canon 541 number one are to be observed if the pastor is absent, right? So, again, the parochial vicar. Uh, basically substituting for the pastor. And that, that's, that's just common. You know, the pastor goes away, the parochial vicar is in charge, obviously. Um, don't worry about Canon 550, um, or 551, or 552. You can, you can skip those. Uh, chapter 7, Vicar's for Rain. We just had an appointment of uh, a bunch of uh, uh, um, Vicar's for Rain in the Archdiocese, right? There's a letter that was just sent out, right? Um, um, and they use different terms for this. Uh, they use the word deanery. You hear that used a lot. So a dean, a deanery, the cariot, you know. They, they use these somewhat interchangeably. Uh, it's kind of confusing how they use them in the Archdiocese. And to tell you the truth, I'm not exactly sure what means what now in the Archdiocese. But um, basically, <coughs> what are these people? The Vicar Forain. So a vicar, right? A vicar forain was also called a dean, an archpriest, or some other name. And sometimes he's called all sorts of names. He's <laughs> uh, a priest who was placed over over a vicariate forain. Okay, so you have the vicariates uh, or the deaneries. You know, I think they're using the word deanery now uh, in the archdiocese. It was vicariate, now it's deanery, and so. Um, Are they appointed for life? Oh no! Oh God, no! <laughs> yeah, they just appointed a whole bunch of new guys. And they'll be in that position until they reconfigure the whole. They reconfigured everything, you know, it's part of the problem. So, um, I forget who's for right down here, Lower Westchester. Um, I forgot what it is now. Um, unless particular law establishes otherwise, the diocesan bishop appoints a vicar for reign after he's heard that the priest who exercised ministry didn't carry the question well. Don't worry about that. Just know what they are, okay? So, a vicar. Dean, deanery, vicariate, foreign, whatever, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> don't worry about Canon 554. <coughs> um, and what does a vicariate, a vicar, foreign do? Um, Canon 555, uh, you don't have to know this in detail or anything like that, but just, uh, just so you know where this is, in case you wonder what this guy does, it's useful. Uh, to know this, right? I, I won't put this on an exam or anything, but just to, to uh, be aware of this. Um, so the vicar for rain has the duty and the right of promoting, coordinating common pastoral activity in the vicariate, of seeing to it that the clerics of his district lead a life <coughs> keeping with their state and perform their duties diligently. That's his, probably his most important uh, function is, is to uh, be there for the priests who, uh, and, and, the, and the deacons who are in his uh, vicariate, right? Um, and he's also supposed to make sure, and this is more honored in the breach, 
that religious functions are celebrated according to the prescripts of the sacred liturgy, that the beauty and elegance of churches and sacred furnishings are maintained carefully, um, for, that the appropriate registers are inscribed correctly, protected appropriately, etc. Um, uh, you know, and all this, all this stuff about the support of the um, um, of, of the clergy, of the vicariate, and so forth. Um, it's, it's great if he does it. You know, a pastor becomes gravely ill or something, uh, it's up to him to take care of that and so forth. Um, they do some of these things. You know, they're around helping out as best they can because they're pastors themselves, they're very busy, but they, they help out, especially when it comes to uh, clergy issues. They, they, they're there, uh, I would say, primarily for that. Then, uh, I think we're um, pretty much finished with book two. Uh, we're not going to get into the rest of the stuff, though. Chaplains and all these things. Yeah, yeah uh, that's it for book two. Uh, part three of book two, Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life. Uh, we, we don't have any time to get into that. You know? and that's not directly relevant for most of us. So, um, yeah, so that's it for book two. Which canon are we taking us to then? Pardon? Which canon are we we're ignoring everything up to like six something? Uh, well, where I just was, where was I just now? Um, 553. 550. Yeah, the deanery. Yeah, so. Yeah, and again, what I mean what I say, okay? When I say. You don't need this for an exam. I, I've said it many, many times. You do not need to, this for an exam or anything like that. But for your general knowledge, you should look at this, right? Okay, you get your, you know. Okay. So, so we, sorry. So as we prep for the exam, 556 to 606, we don't need to study for. Correct. We finished book two uh, with 555, which you do not need to know for an exam, as I told you. There's very little we covered today. You actually need to do a quick exam. But a few things, though. You know, pastoral council, uh, parish council has only a consultative vote. If you get that wrong, you better not become a deacon or anything else. <laughs> They'll mop the floor with you. Okay. So that's book. Um, that's book two. All right. So the the exam then will be on um, book one and um, and book two. Okay. Uh, the introductory stuff, I hope you kind of remember that. We might possibly uh, go back to the introductory stuff for the, the final exam. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet for the final exam. But for this exam, what I've shown you in book one and book two, right? So I, I pointed out what you needed to know. I told you what you didn't need to know. Uh, I emphasized what needed to be emphasized. I de-emphasized what did not need to be emphasized, and so on and so forth. So it should be pretty straightforward. Um, as, as the exam is coming together, and I'm, I'm in the process of putting it together, uh, uh, there's going to be an emphasis on the basic stuff we've emphasized. Ecclesiastical law. Understand what that means. Okay? What is ecclesiastical law? Who does it apply to? That kind of stuff. Uh, the power of governance. What is that? You know, and, um, and how is it, uh, what are the different aspects of the power of governance? Uh, in any human society, they're, they're always the same. Right, um, the threefold aspects of, of, of governance: legislative, uh, judicial, and executive. Right. Um, so just to know that, and who has what power. Um, the, these these um, decrees and things that we talked about. So um, 
executory decrees, prescripts and rescripts, that kind of thing. Uh, good question would be, what is the difference between a prescript and a rescript? The addition of one letter, P, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> makes, all, makes all the difference. So what, what are they? What's a prescript? What is a rescript? You know, uh, these uh, executory decrees and so forth. Um, uh, what else? Um, then, um, oh, I know. Um, uh, stuff about uh, the, uh, how do you become a member of the Christian faithful by baptism? And all this stuff about rights, R-I-T-E-S. Uh, what right do you belong to when you're baptized, right? Right, <laughs> right, okay. Because um, that's, that's important in, in our, our area, to know how to figure out if somebody comes to you, if a couple comes to you, one is Ruthenian, one, one is Roman. Goes to the father. You know, the baby, right. The baby is going to be what, you know? So how do you determine that? How does somebody change your right, okay? Th these things are important, okay? about rights, so, so to be aware of that, uh, rights. Also, I'm, I'm, I'll have a simple question about consanguinity and affinity. And, um, and maybe either now or uh, immediately after the break, we can uh, just review that briefly, all right? It's, it's very, very simple, you know, as I said. It's, uh, it's, simple, it's simpler than third grade arithmetic, it's just that you, you know, haven't done it before, and you're worried about an exam, so, uh, but it's, it's extremely simple, you know? Uh, not the way it used to be. Now, if you see some of these these trees of uh, consanguinity and affinity that you can find in the rare books room over at um, <laughs> the uh, remember you no you weren't with us no because uh, it was I, t I took first theology over there they have more time because they uh, than you guys do um, and showed them uh, the, um, copies of the Corpus Juris Canonici remember that Ration and all that and uh, and one of these books had in the um, inside, inside it, had, it had this family tree, it might have been of some noble or something, and it just went on and on all over the place, all these different people all over Europe who had some kind of relationship and so forth. The kinds of trees that we draw are very, very simple. You know? So, um, so uh, you need to know that because it, it does come up once in a while, you know, uh, like first cousins, you know, that came up with Louis Giuliani, you know, um, I forget whether it was his first cousin or his second cousin, something like that, you know? so, um, uh, so, uh, Want to go over that now or after the break? I take it should only take a couple of minutes, right? Um, just just uh, the basic. <coughs> Can the Zoom guys see me? Yes. Yes. You don't see me. Okay. Now, which one works? Um, all right, the basic way you draw a tree. Can you see that? Yes. Can you see okay. that? Okay. Basic way you draw a tree, uh, and this is as far as you need to know it, you know. Um, this is as far, can you see all that? A, B, C, D? Yes. Okay. So CA is common ancestor, right? And this is how you determine uh, relationships. First of all, what is consanguinity? It's a relationship by, relationship by, by, blood. by blood. By blood. Sanguis. Blood. Consanguinity with blood. Cons, cons, consanguinate, right? With uh, 
with blood, okay, consanguinity, okay? What is affinity? By marriage. Relationship by marriage, okay? So you have a relationship to your brother-in-law by affinity, right? You have a relationship to your sister by consanguinity, okay? You get the difference? All right? Okay. So, say, we're, say for the moment we're talking about blood relationships, right? So these are all descendants of the common ancestor. Say it's A, right? As all these children and grandchildren. So A would be Ed's, say, son, right? And B would be Ed's daughter, whatever, okay? So B would be Ed's, you know, granddaughter. Okay, direct line. This is forget this here for a moment, but here this is a direct line. On this side, this is a direct line, right? So A and B are related to the common ancestor. Directly, they're direct descendants, right? This is, it's common, common way of speaking, right? And to figure out the, so it, this is consanguinity because they're blood descendants. It's the direct line, the direct descendants. <coughs> and to figure out the degree, you count the number of persons involved and you subtract the common ancestor. So the relationship of uh, Ed's son, A, to Ed is. You count the number of people involved. One, two, Minus right? One. Common ancestor and A. You subtract the common ancestor, that leads to one. Okay? Right. So first degree in the direct line. Okay? Um, the same with, um, with B. Okay? So B is a grandchild of the common ancestor. So how is B related to, to the common ancestor? Direct line, it's a direct descendant. Right? Uh, how many people involved? B, A, and then the common ancestor, that's one, two, three, three people, subtract the common ancestor, you get two people, second degree of the direct line. Okay, that's how B is related to the common ancestor. Okay. How is B related to A? It's also. <coughs> Pardon? It's also consanguinity. It's consanguinity, it's, it's the child of, of A, right. right? And so what line is it? Right. It's direct line. Direct line. Okay. What degree is it? Persons. First degree. Persons. That's the number of persons involved. A and B. That's two. Subtract that's A, who in this case becomes a common ancestor. You have one. Okay? And the same on this side, right? The common ancestor uh, C and D are direct descendants, so it's the direct line. But now you have brother and sister, say. Say you have, um, um, make this a real. And that's Anne, and this is Charlotte. Okay. All right. So they are both direct descendants of the common ancestor. So that makes them brother and sister, right? What what line? What is the line of that that describes their relationship? That's. Does anybody here have a brother or a sister? Yeah, right. Right. What do you have? Right. Okay. Are are you related to your brother in the direct line? No. Did you give birth to your brother? No. No. That's by affinity. No. It's by right. affinity. No. No, no, it's no, it's consanguinity, your blood relatives. Oh, okay, right. But what is no. the line of the relationship? Are you a direct descendant of your brother? No. 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 You're you're it's the collateral line, right? It's not it's not the direct line, it's the collateral line, right? So 
uh, Anne and Charlie, brother and sister, are not related to each other by direct descent. You don't give birth to your sister, right? Or your sister, or your sister doesn't give birth to you. I mean, right? Your sister isn't your mother. I mean, what is this? It sounds like Oedipus or something. Like <laughs> okay. Claudius. Well, yeah, yeah. So it is, uh, or it's, uh, what's your name? That, that, that awful uh, congresswoman uh, who's married to her brother? Oh, Elon Omar. Yeah, Omar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Minnesota. Yeah. Anyway, but it's a collateral line, all right? It's not the direct line. Direct line means direct descent. You know, people are having sexual intercourse and producing offspring. That, that's, uh, that's direct descent. That's the direct line. Otherwise, it's the collateral line, right? They're related from a, they're bo they both have the same common ancestor. They're not descended from each other, but they have the same common ancestor. So, uh, the common ancestor gives birth to Anne and Charlie. Anne and Charlie are, in fact, brother and sister. So they're related to each other uh, in the collateral line, right? Consanguinity in the collateral line. And what, what is the degree of the relationship? First degree. First. first. Why do you say first? Wait, sorry. No, 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 no. no. Wait, wait. How many people involved? Two. Two. There's two. Two. What are the common ancestors? Right. Three. Three. Right. Three. So if you don't have the common ancestor, Anne and Charlie don't exist. <laughs> so the common ancestor had to have sexual relations for this to happen, right? So the common Four. ancestor is very, very involved. Four? No, two. <laughs> How many people are involved? Three. Three. The common ancestor Anne and Charlie, right? Right? Yes. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees. <laughs> Pardon? Mother and father. Mother and father, and sister. What? There's two involved in the birds and the bees. Yeah, but, but yeah. But when you, when, you, when you were tracing from one common ancestor, you traced from a, from a common Three. ancestor. Second degree collateral line. Second degree collateral line. It's very simple. There are three people involved. And common ancestor in Charlotte. One, two, three. You subtract the common ancestor, you have two. Second degree of the collateral one. You're related you're to your saying, Sorry? You're saying that the mother and father are counted as a singularity, as a one. Correct. And okay. then, so, but the, what the guys are saying is that there are two people involved, the mother and the father. So father, two people, but they count as one. And as Charlie, that's four. So <laughs> you have to distinguish that the mother and father are counted as one common ancestor. Correct. Correct. Yeah, the, the way this is calculated, it, it's what canon law says. You look at a common ancestor, hey. you know, because, uh, yeah, for, for various reasons. I mean, the, now, now we're making this incredibly complicated, because suppose <laughs> suppose the, the, the mother was married the to someone else because <laughs> has other children by that marriage, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So then it gets very, very complicated. So we're talking about the descendants of this one person, right? Uh, however, they can. Model father. Pardon? Yeah, you you have a common ancestor. In terms of, of of looking at it canonically, it tells us to look at the common ancestor, single single person, right? So you have the common ancestor, and you count from that common ancestor. Okay. So how is um, uh, Anne related to um, to David here? Ah. That's through, through affinity. 
Pardon? Collateral third degree. Third, third degree collateral. Yeah. All right, third degree of the collateral line. Yeah. Now, the consanguinity, this is all blood relations. Mm -hmm. All blood relations, okay? Is that clear? Right? You see, count the number of persons involved. Minus one. David, Charlie, common ancestor, and Anne, one, two, three, four. You subtract the common ancestor, you have three. Third degree of the collateral line. Okay? All right? And for canon, canon law, these days, you only worry about going up to the fourth degree of the collateral line. So that's why I drew this. So first cousins, all right? Uh, so Barbara. No, I won't put that. My, that's my sister and her husband, Barbara and David. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say Beth. <laughs> Beth and David. So, all right, so Beth and David are, um, are cousins, are first cousins. So what is their relationship? That's got to be called. That's got to be Lateral line. What is it? Consanguinity or affinity? Affinity. Consanguinity. It's, it's blood relations, right? And what degree? Fourth. Fourth degree. There, there are five people involved, including common ancestors, subtract the common ancestor, and there you have it. Now, for affinity, what is affinity? Marriage. Marriage. Relationship by marriage. So for affinity, suppose. The common ancestor, um, say it's Joe. Oh, right. it's the wife. Um, Joe. Suppose Joe uh, becomes a widower, all right, and then he remarries, and um, and Florence comes in. I don't want to get Florence. So Florence comes in. Now, Joe had all of these kids with his deceased wife. All right, they're all on the scene. And now, after a period of, of mourning, he meets Florence and he marries Florence. How is Florence related to all of these people? That's affinity. By affinity. By affinity. 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 How, uh, what, how would she be related to, uh, say, David? To David? Uh, that'd be one, two, three, second, second degree through affinity. Third degree. One, Third two, degree. three. David is three, minus the common ancestor, two. Three. Florence, Joe, Charlie, and David. Four, four minus three. Joe. What? Okay. Again, um, you, you're tempted to put in two common ancestors. You're like one. When right. we're talking about canon law, one, two, one common ancestor. Two. So we're interested in the relationship of Florence to Charlie and David. We're not interested in the relation of Joe to them at the moment. We know what that is. We want to know what Florence's relationship is. Two, three. Affinity is second degree. Second degree. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So the same as Joe's relationship, but it's affinity. It's, it's all it is. So Joe's related to David by the second degree of, um, of, of in the direct line, um, by, by um, consanguinity, right? One, two, three, subtract Joe, you have two. So the second degree in the, in the direct line. So Florence has the exact same relationship as Joe to these people, but it's by affinity. That's all, that's all it is, right? You take out, Joe is for consanguinity, you take him out and put in Florence, and that's for affinity. But it's the same relationship, the same um, lines and degrees. Okay? All right, let's get something to <laughs> So come, we're running a little bit late. But um, let's try to come back no later than 20 of okay?
sounds like something you would order at an Italian restaurant. <laughs> no. Yeah. A combination of ways to take uh, this exam. Um, and uh, unfortunately, um, no one is here today to help with the, the technical details of this because the staff is off today. Um, but uh, so I'm working with them. So we're, we're going to have. Uh, the exam will be, you can take the, the simplest way, be, you, you show up to class and I'll have the exam printed out and the green books and you can do it the traditional way. Um, th those of you who can't make it that day, um, they're telling me, and I've, you know, you have to excuse me, I've, I've never been in a pandemic, pandemic before, I've never had to deal uh, <laughs> with these things before, but they're telling me that um, there is a way that uh, you can all, uh, those who are zooming in can take it on your, um, I guess, on Popoli. Right? And so you need, you'll need to have your computers. So uh, so let me know if you don't have a computer. You will have computers because you're, we're all looking at them through your computers. You know, so so you need, you'll need Popoli. All right? I repeat, you need Popoli to take the exam if you're not here in in person. Right? So be prepared for that. Um, it will be, so I'm, they're telling me we do it under the same conditions, that um, it will be timed and so on and so forth. And so um, uh, there will be something that, that I'll post, um, or that somebody will post on hopefully, or maybe an, an email blast to all of you, uh, just alerting, alerting you to what's uh, happening. Uh, if it's extremely simple, um, then just show up next, next week uh, be prepared uh, to take it with a green book or with a computer, you know, um, and we'll take it from there. Right? Um, and there are some who cannot make it. Um, uh, uh, you will also be able to take it uh, uh, again via uh, via Popoli. So we'll work that out. If you could, uh, those who won't be here either remotely or in person, who will not be here at the regular time next. Monday, um, just you might have sent me an email already, but um, maybe let me know again uh, and make sure I get that confirmed so um, we can figure out what to do with you. But I think it's I think it's just as simple. You, you take it at another time on, on the computer. Okay. Other, um, I've we I've never taken one on hopefully. What, what we have done. I've never taken one on hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What what we've done in the past is. You email us the exam, we fill it out, and then email it back to you. Is that a possibility? That seems to be a little bit easier, no? Well, uh, the, the time element, though, you know? I, I vote for that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it, you, you tell us we have an hour to do it from the, from, from the, yeah. from the, the time stamp on the email. Yeah. We read it and then send it back to you within that hour, and then you know that we completed it within the hour. Yeah, we've done several courses that way. Yeah, I, I, I did that last year. This is what I'm being told by the, the powers that be, the way to, to do it. Uh, I'm certainly open to do it that way. I just wonder, though, if we're trying to conduct a class and I email it to everybody at the beginning of the class and then you don't get it, you know, for some reason. You know, um, there could be a glitch. You know, then, I mean, you know, it certainly could put you all in the honor system, which I, I did last year, actually. Um, and then just tell you, look, when you get when you get this, you you have an hour to finish it and just do it. You can do it that way. Yeah. So um, 
But let me see what the powers that be tell me to do. Cynthia was, was telling me this is the way to do it, you know, Cynthia Harrison. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just following their directives. But uh, if, that's, if, that, if that's okay with everybody else, maybe we'll just do it that way. So if you want yeah, to and, and, and Father, you know, we've never done it that way. I mean, I have no problem doing it as long as we have directions and it's clear and it's easily accessible. Right. Yeah. Fine, but we've just never done that before. Yeah, me neither. So, uh, but this is apparently the way we're going to be going in the future, you know, um, as long as we continue having Zoom classes. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, they're, going to, they're going to want to move us to this system. So let me um, continue the discussion. As I said, Cynthia is not here today uh, because of the holidays. So um, uh, I don't know how much wiggle room I have, I have with this, you know. So we'll, uh, we'll see. So be prepared uh, either yeah, um, to, to get an email or to um, uh, to take it on Zoom. You, you all know how to log into Zoom, right? Yeah. OK. Better be able to. I'll yeah. let you know what's on the syllabus. OK. <laughs> all right. Um, so for the exam itself, I told you already what's on it, right? So. Um, Okay, uh, yeah, if I told you any more, I'd just give you the yeah, <laughs> wondering, You're going to give us the questions. Sorry? you can yeah, give us the questions. questions. Yeah. I practically uh, uh, you, you mentioned something about the introductory stuff, so like the, the time periods and that kind of thing. Right, Is don't worry about that. Don't worry about that for the exam. Uh, I'm reserving the right possibly to have that on the final exam. I haven't decided about the final exam yet. But not for, not for the midterm. For midterm, just book one and book two, what we've gone over. That's, that's plenty. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So, okay. I'm sure you will do fine. Uh, and then for the, uh, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the paper. How many are doing the paper? One, two, three. How many, and one, two, two on Zoom. I am. Uh, total of six then. Okay, six or seven, something like that. So, um, oh, you're doing two, yeah. So, um, um, no, we'll talk about your doing it, actually, all right? Because um, you're taking another course, right? You're taking another course in Ken Watt for this, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, um, no, we'll work, we'll work something out. But uh, uh, the, the, anyway, I, I'm told that uh, the availability of uh, pre-KNF pre classes is limited. So um, uh, there's going to be one here, but you're on a retreat or something that day. So, um, uh, so, so I'd ask um, somebody to get in touch with the Family Life Office, find out what's going on. Um, and if, you, if, there, if there isn't something you can go to in person, then you can do it online also. You know? But just, uh, as I said, call people in the office. Um, <coughs> Talk to Suzanne especially. Tell her Father Elder said to call, right? If there's any problem, then let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll call and we'll, we'll work it out. Okay. In, in Bridgeport, everything is on video, uh, the entire course. Uh -huh. um, so can we take one of the court videos and then use that as the... Right, yeah, the equivalent of, of going to just one session. I don't want you to have to go through the whole free camp. Just to get a right. flavor of it, so, uh, so one session. Yeah. Okay. okay. You're always free to, to uh, go to the one for, for New York, or uh, for Brooklyn, for that matter. You know? Yeah. Well, I just went online for the, Arch <coughs> the Archdiocese of New York. 
other than that one being held here on November 20th. The only other one is on November 13th in Monroe, but that is, right. that's called a convalidation for remarriage prep. No, no. And, those, and the next ones are not until January. Okay, so I um, somebody want to give a call to the pre to the family life office and tell them, you know, and, um, and, and if you get that information, how to, um, how to do this, and then we'll bring it to the class. If they have any problems, let me, if you have any problems with it, let me know, I'll call them. Sure. Okay, thank you. Other elder, do they take the do they take the pre-K at St. Joe's? Do you know? Do they, maybe they take it. Maybe you can watch it. Now, would they would they do it? I, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know. You know. Um, okay. I was I was going to ask about that. Yeah. You so know. what they what they're doing is they're 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 gradually bringing pre-K back in person. But you know, mm -hmm. so many people find uh, doing things online a lot easier than going in person. You know, so that this may be with us for. A, a good long time to come. Yeah, so um, we have to get used to it. Uh, okay. I think that's all you need to know. All right. Okay. Okay. And of course, the thing about the exam is um, I'll give you those instructions. Um, it's all, you know, confidential, right? You don't, um, you're not free. If you have the physical copy of the exam in your hands, uh, you must return that with the green book. Um, if, if I've ma emailed something to you, um, you are bound to maintain um, secrecy about it, okay? Um, you can't reveal this to anybody else, okay? Because um, okay. I don't want succeeding generations to have an idea about my methods or anything else. I got this from Father Kevin O'Reilly. He said, you know, you, you keep all of these things confidential. Keep them secret. Um, okay, so, so we're, we're, we're switching gears now. Is one another question? I'm yes. Sorry, is it open book or? Yes, it's open book. Open by book. which I mean, you you have the code in front of you in the commentary that you've been using. It doesn't mean that you can just start researching things on the internet during the, okay? You know, just the just the one book. But you know, if you've marked it up, fine. Because again, I'm I'm, I'm thinking in terms of your serving in parishes wherever you're going to be. Um, this is the book that you will be using when you get into the parish. So, um, so fine. What is it now in the exam? Uh, it's kind of the same, same thing. Here's the situation. What are you going to do in the parish? You, you might want to reference a book also. So, um, so that's fine. But nothing else. Okay. Father, are these multiple choice questions? Uh, Filling words? No, or? none of that. No, it's going to be, it's going to be short, short. Probably ten short answers. You know, by by which I mean. Um, you know, uh, what, what, is, what, is, what is the one word answer to this, and then why? Give a brief explanation, a couple sentences, something like that. Okay. Yeah. But they're very, I'm not giving you stuff out, from out of left field, you know, just basic stuff that we've been discussing. Okay. I agree. Pardon? Okay. All right, so let's get on to uh, the sacraments. Um, and we're going to discuss a little bit uh, about baptism and um, just a little bit about baptism and a little bit about marriage. Uh, I'm almost tempted to skip baptism and go right into marriage because the marriage part is the most complicated. Uh, it's the part where uh, you're going to be needed the most. You're really going to be needed for this. And uh, it's the part where you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you don't know what you're doing. Okay. So um, you're taking other courses that involve baptism, aren't you? Are we what? 
Not the canon of Moses. Oh, no, not the canon of law. Liturgy. Pardon? Introduction to liturgy. Yeah, do, you, do you study the sacraments as sacraments? Yeah, but we don't have sacramental, yeah. we don't have a sacramental theology class if that's what you mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. No. no. Really? No. Okay then. Um, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's discuss the sacraments, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if you turn to Canon 840, so we're now um, in Book Four of the Code. Book Three is a lovely book. Uh, it, it's, a, it's about the teaching office of the church. We simply don't have any time to get into it, but it's, it's uh, all these things are well worth reading. That, that one in particular, because it, it will um, have relevance to your, your own ministry when you're uh, teaching and preaching and so forth. But we, so we have to skip with a bit of a tear, uh, book three. We're on to book four, the sanctifying function of the church. Um, and let me see. Uh, I don't know how far we we can go to the, um... 1019. Pardon? Page 1019. I know 1019, but I think about going back even earlier. Um, no, there's no earlier. Um, you have to 834. Um, this might be too much background, unfortunately. Um, there's so much here. Uh, I, um, in years past, I taught an elective a whole semester just on the sacraments. Um, uh, there, there's just so much here. Um, but we don't have, again, we don't have time. You might just want to read over for yourselves um, the introductory canons, 834 to 839. Uh, it mentions it, uh, at least at one point, it mentions the role of, uh, of deacons in uh, just in general. Uh, in, in the sanctifying office of the church. And we're casting a wide net here. We're talking about the sacraments, we're talking about the divine office, we're talking about uh, funerals, we're talking about uh, sacramentals, we're talking about all sorts of things. Um, of the responsibilities in general of divine ministers, uh, again, of ordained ministers. Again, I would encourage you to read all this because it, it, it's uh, not in terms of an exam, but simply for your own future ministry, especially if you don't have other courses in this, um, because you can get a lot of guidance from the code. As I said, so much of it is taken from the Second Vatican Council. It kind of tells us what to do, you know? Um, so for instance, Canon 836, um, the responsibility of ordained ministers. Um, since Christian worship in which the common priesthood of the Christian faith was carried out is a work which proceeds from faith and is based on it, Sacred ministers are to take care to arouse and enlighten this faith diligently, especially for the ministry of the word, which gives birth to and nourishes the faith. And there's a lot in there that we could get into, which uh, we simply don't uh, have time for. But <coughs> you'll find this yourselves uh, when you're doing baptisms and, um, and weddings, that yes, uh, the parents are bringing their child for baptism. But for them, it's time for a party, it's a rite of passage, and so on and so forth. And you have a, a very brief but golden opportunity to do something about arousing faith in them, you know? So your own homily at a baptism will be really crucial, and, and the way you relate to the people and, and, and the preparation for baptism and all the rest. There's a lot you can do that could end up in helping to save souls, you know? So it's very, all very important. Um, okay. Uh, you know, we, we're going to skip all this, 838. Just, um, 
Yeah, we're just giving that introductory stuff, but you might want to read it for yourselves. Then part part one now, that was the introductory stuff. Part one, the sacraments. Um, we, uh, we'll take a brief look at these things. Um, and most of these will, you will not need for uh, exams, but just, again, for your own information. Canon 840, definition of the sacraments. So this is a, this is a biggie, right? Can you all see me and hear me and all that? I, I feel like a, like a little kid in first grade behind, the, you know, <laughs> behind this humongous desk. You know? So the sacraments of the New Testament were, uh, it's a beautiful canon. The sacraments of the New Testament were instituted by Christ the Lord and entrusted to the church. As actions of Christ in the church, they are signs and means which express and strengthen the faith, <coughs> render worship to God, and affect the sanctification of humanity, and thus contribute in the greatest way to establish, strengthen, and manifest ecclesiastical communion. Accordingly, in the celebration of the sacraments, the sacred ministers, and the other members of the Christian faithful must use the greatest veneration and necessary diligence. That's a great, uh, it's a beautiful canon. I simply don't have time to get into it, but it's beautiful. It's worth it's worth med meditating on. Um, requisites for validity, Canon 841, where uh, bottom line, whatever you're doing with sacraments, you want to make sure that they are valid. Uh, even if everything else is messed up, at least make sure it's valid. You know, um, Canon 841. Since the sacraments are the same for the whole church and belong to the divine deposit. It is only for the supreme authority of the church to approve or define the requirements for their validity. Um, it is for the same or another competent authority to decide what pertains to their illicit celebration, administration, and reception, and to the order to be observed in their celebration. So um, we don't have this going on as much now, but there was a period uh, uh, even before I was ordained a priest and around maybe the first few years of my priesthood when uh, people were just doing whatever the heck they wanted, you know? So, um, about with all sorts of things, you know. So, uh, uh, so we don't, you know, bread and wine isn't relevant to, to young people. So let's get uh, uh, potato chips and coke or something. You know, um, those things were done. You know, this kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm going to change the words of of um, consecration to make them more relevant. You know, so this is our body. You know, it's invalid. You know, I talked about the invalid confession that I had. Say about that? No. Yeah, I went to confession invalid. So I was fairly recently ordained. I think it was, I think it was back in New York after my Canon Law Studies, or maybe it was during the summer. I went to confession to a church in New York. Um, priest I didn't know, obviously. I went to confessional, confessed my sins. Um, then the priest, uh, he, he said a few words, and then, he, and then he offered a prayer for Father's ministry. And, and he ended up saying, may, may, may I God bless you in your ministry, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, Father. <laughs> that was it. So I was really confused. I said, is there penance? No, no penance is in Tuesdays. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I ended up going to another church. church yes. it, was, it was invalid. I, I wasn't absolved sacramentally. I'm sure the you know, Lord forgives us because well, if we wanted wanted to, but but the, the sacramental absolution I didn't receive, you know. So um, uh, you just can't make it up. And this happens with some frequency confession, actually. You know, um, you've got to hear the words "I absolve you." You've got to hear those words. It can't be, you know, I pray that God will absolve you. No, I absolve you. You know, the priest is exercising his priestly ministry. You have to hear those words. 
Um, I found frequently in my experience going to confession, priests change the words. But as long as they have those, as long as you hear those words, I absolve you. You know. So um, up anyway. Up by me, I go to the Mount Carmel Shrine a lot on Saturdays, yeah. and a lot of times you get a Vietnam, Vietnamese priest. Oh. Okay, and they don't say I absolve you, I observe you. I observe you because yeah. they can't. Oh yeah, yeah. They, you know they, they can't say that part of the. Yeah, when you're hearing confessions, you hear all these different versions of the act of contrition. Yeah. Oh my God, I am hardly sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes offending. Pardon? Well, sometimes offending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so validity. The church, the church alone establishes what uh, is necessary for the validity of the sacraments and also decides what pertains to the saved. Okay. Um, Canon 842, a basic rule. A person who has not received baptism cannot be admitted validly to the other sacraments. So you're giving out Holy Communion at a funeral, and some uh, you know, a Jewish close friend of the uh, deceased comes up, follows everybody else up to receive Communion, and stands there, you know, and you know right away, you know, this isn't a Catholic. So you ask, I, this happens to me all the time, down in the East Village, it happens to me frequently. People come up, you can tell, right? So I'll ask, are you Catholic? Oh, no, no. Okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about this afterwards, you know, blah, blah, blah. People are going to give you a blessing and so forth. But, but, um, but I've, once I did this, I was fairly recently ordained, and my, my pastor at the time was since uh, gone home to God, um, got really angry at me. There was a, um, a Lutheran attending a funeral that I gave, and the Lutheran came up. And I just you know, yeah, you know, later so, um, and so I asked you, are you, are you Catholic? Well, no, but uh, okay, let's discuss this other, you know. Well, she was furious. She complained to the pastor. The pastor was really angry with me and so forth. He wanted me to give first Holy communion to this Lutheran, you know, you know, at the funeral, you know. No, you know, you can't do that. But um, but especially someone who was not even baptized, you know, uh, some. You know, it's happened in my experience. Priests want to give community. Everybody gets community because, you know, it's it's a sign of hospitality. It's like giving out cookies. You know, um, yeah, that's the attitude that people have. German bishops, among others. You know, so um, uh, so everybody gets gets the wafer. You know, so it's that kind of thing. It's, it's a sign of our fellowship kind of thing. And uh, no, um, and Canon 842 says a person who has not received baptism cannot be admitted validly to the other sacraments. Uh, of, course, of course, the person has received communion, but in terms of its validity in their, um, uh, in the effect it will have on them, well, you know, we'll leave that up for anyway. But, um, uh, yeah, so baptism is, is fundamental for the others. Um, uh, and of course, the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the most holy Eucharist are interrelated in such a way that they're required for full Christian initiation. I mean, you better know that by now. You guys are your fourth year, you better know that by now. I don't know. Start over. Uh, pardon? Start over. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so just a general uh, canon, canon 843, sacred ministers cannot deny the sacraments to those who seek them at appropriate times who <coughs> are properly disposed and are not prohibited by law from receiving them. Uh, pastors of souls and other members of the Christian faithful according to their respective <coughs> ecclesiastical function have the duty to take care that those who seek the sacraments are prepared <coughs> to receive them by proper evangelization and catechetical instruction attendant to the norms issued by competent authorities. <coughs> so 
So um, you have this one canon, uh, the first part of this canon that says, sacred ministers cannot deny the sacraments to those who seek them at appropriate times. That's important, you know. Um, there was a, uh, when I was at St. Agnes, uh, in Midtown Manhattan, 43rd Street, daily mass, back then, not now so much because of COVID, but back then, you get a lot of people coming in for, um, for daily mass. And a lot of people on their lunch hour or whatever, and they'd run in, they attend part of the mass, and maybe light a candle, they'd run out again, try to go to a quick confession, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it would happen very often that we'd be giving out communion at a mass, and someone would, would just come in the door as communion was ending and would rush up the aisle, you know? And they were right to receive. It's not Sunday mass or something like that where they miss mass, you know? Um, they were right to receive. It's laudable. They want to receive communion. There was, a, there was a priest who was really crazy who loved to deny the Holy Eucharist. You know, they'd come up and say, no, you have not attended Mass, you may not receive. Who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so the synchronists cannot deny the sacraments of those who seek them at appropriate times. Are properly disposed, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, um, um, and of course we have the duty to make sure that people are prepared to receive the sacraments. Um, how far does that duty extend? I mean, how do we really know people? I mean, we know we can't know if they're prepared. I mean, I'm sure you've had some odd experiences. Like, has anyone ever said to you, "Thank you" after you say the body of Christ? Yeah, when he's no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a funeral. They were Italian, so you'd think they were Catholic. So, so. Lord, Lord be with you, with your spirit. Lift up your hearts, you know. And they all lifted up their hands like this. And, and you know, let's give thanks to the Lord God. And then they, then they did what, you know. Yeah, it is, it is fitting and just, right, you know. And they all held their hands up the way I did. And they all held their hands up throughout the entire Eucharistic prayer. You know? So these people obviously did not go to Mass. But at least, and I found Italians are, any Italians here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I found Italians are, are, are better for this than most other groups. Um, when they're not ready to receive communion, they, they don't go to communion. You know? So I've done a lot of Italian funerals um, where I'll, I'll go out to give Holy Communion, maybe one person comes up to receive. You know? So I, I, I respect that, admire that, you know? right. as opposed to the other thing where you come up, oh, thanks, Father, thanks, Father, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, um, we're not going to get into Canon 844 now. We, don't, we simply don't have the time. It's very, very complicated. Intercommunion. But it gets, it gets to what we were just talking about. Only, only members of the uh, Catholic members of the Christian faithful can receive licitly from Catholic ministers. There's some exceptions. Sometimes in the Orthodox and so forth. We, we don't have time to get into that. Um, Canon 845 is the basic thing you should know by now. Since the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and orders in printed character, they cannot be repeated. Right? Um, if after completing a diligent inquiry, a prudent doubt still exists whether the sacraments mentioned in number one were actually or validly conferred, they are to be conferred conditionally. We'll see that uh, with, with baptism in, in uh, short order. Right? Um, then uh, liturgical laws, again, just a general thing. I have time to get into this. I, Hope you have have some other courses. Canon 846. In celebrating the sacraments, the liturgical books approved by competent authority are to be observed faithfully. 
Accordingly, no one is to add, omit, or alter anything in them on one's own authority. So, and that's, there's an awful lot of that going on where people, you know, do just what this, they're forbidden to do. Um, the ministers celebrate the sacraments according to the minister's own right. right? So if you're Latin right, you celebrate according to the Latin right. You can't do the Byzantine right, right? Right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, uh, don't worry about the oils. The pastor worry about that, Canon 847. Um, Canon 848 to be aware of, because this is abused. The minister is to seek nothing for the administration of the sacraments beyond the offerings defined by competent authority, always taking care that the needy are not deprived of the assistance of the sacraments because of poverty. You know, uh, it drives me crazy. To this day, a parish where I was pastor, I'm, I'm trying to end it, but people come in and say, how much does a mass cost? <laughs> it, it, it costs the life of the Son of God. You know, so. How much does the mass cost, you know? And, 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 and people on the staff have been there for years uh, talk about selling masses, you know? This is what uh, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther was all saying. Yeah. So, um, so we're not to ask for anything. And it depends on the parish. Um, in the parish where I, I just was, uh, people didn't give much, you know? So baptisms, they, they would rarely give anything, you know? Other parishes where I, I've been, uh, everyone understood, you know, you, you, give, you give a nice donation to the, the priest and to the parish and whatever, you know, uh, so, but we can't make it look at all that we're selling, selling sacred things, right? So, oh, we do. Right? Well, we don't. It's supposed to be offerings, right? So, and, right. um, right, people, <laughs> right, right, right. People have, people have a right to these things, uh, whether or not they give us a dime, right? Okay. And you'll see that'll happen when you're doing baptisms and weddings. Okay, so getting onto baptism, we'll just do this very briefly uh, because it, it's it's a lot simpler than uh, than marriage. Uh, canons, the section canon 849 to 878. It's a fairly brief canon, uh, a fairly brief section. So um, first of all, canon 849, the basic definition. Uh, baptism, the gateway to the sacraments, and necessar necessary for salvation by actual reception, or at least by desire, is validly conferred only by a washing of true water with the proper form of words. Through baptism, men and women are free from sin, are reborn as children of God, and configured to Christ by an indelible character, are incorporated into the church. It's, it's beautiful, right? It's from uh, Lumen Gentium, among other places. So, so first of all, it tells us it's the gateway to the sacraments. And it also, t uh, you, you can't have any other sacraments until you've had baptism. <coughs> you better know that by now, right? It, and it's necessary for salvation. You can't be saved without baptism. Now, what, what do they mean by that? Necessary for salvation by actual reception, or at least by desire. So baptism of desire, and, and again, this is something for a, a theology course, but baptism of desire would, I think, include the, the desire to do what is right. <laughs> you know, even if one doesn't believe in God, one's horizons are very, very narrow, uh, but one is trying to be a good person, is trying to do what is right. You know, uh, in that sense, a person, you could say the person might, might actually receive baptism by desire. You might. It's really stretching. You know. So this, this would be a theological question. Would St. Dismas, the repentant thief, would he have, have had baptism of desire? <clears throat> Oh yeah, well, but the Lord said you'll, hey, 
guess what? You die now, but you'll be with me this day in paradise. So but that, that would be considered desire, though, right? Because um, he wasn't actually yeah. baptized. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right. Yeah, okay, that's, that's certainly... Yeah, well, of course, we didn't quite have baptism at that moment. We were, we were about to have baptism. <laughs> the baptism would have been valid in another hour. <laughs> right, that's when he died. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. What happens in the case of a of a child that's stillborn, and God's the person. parents want the parents want a Christian burial? Yeah, we'll get into this. Some of the canons. Uh, I've done that. My own sister actually uh, was was debated that way, and that that stillborn child was, was baptized twice, uh-huh. first by the nurse, and then I came running and I did it again. You know, so. Um, um, yeah, but but you know God, God is greater than we are. You know He wants everybody to be saved. Yeah, and I think the whole thing about about uh, limbo and all that. You know, um, I you know, theologically I think there are a lot of problems with that. I think God wants everyone to be saved. Um, and you know the way He created us. The other way we won't be be saved is if we choose not to be saved. You know, but if people are trying to do what is good, you know. Um, I, I think they can be saved. It's a lot harder if you're not if you're not uh, uh, a believing Christian, and especially Catholic, but, but they can be saved. You know? um, Other quick quick question, if I could. The situation that you just described about the baby being baptized or the stillborn being baptized twice was the first baptism by the nurse a valid baptism, and if it was. Is it form. not true that you can't be baptized or you shouldn't be baptized twice? Um, this is a situation of uh, high emotion, right? Um, and I, I didn't have time to ask the nurse exactly what she had done. You know, you're in a hospital. Uh, I heard she had baptized a child. I didn't have a chance to talk to her. I'm not going to ask questions. Let me just make sure. You know, but of course the child was already deceased, so. At that point, it doesn't make any difference anywhere. You know? So, um, uh, well, we might get into that a little bit. Um, okay. But, so it's the gateway to the sacraments. It's necessary for salvation by actual reception, or at least by desire. And <coughs> validly confirmed. So here we see the word validly. So, that, so you know, uh, pay attention uh, when it says validly. It's validly conferred only by a washing of true water with a proper form of words. So sometimes people have used other liquids, you know. Um, they, you can't use a beer, you know. Or, <laughs> um, you know, it's got, it's got to be true water. Um, so, uh, you know, the situations where it comes up that people don't have water and they, they use some kind of liquid, well, it's got to it's got to be it's got to be water. You know? Does the water have to be blessed? No. Uh, with the proper form of words, right? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, not, you know, may God bless you, and, but no, I, I baptize you. you know? uh, and the effects, of course, we don't have time to get into this now, but this is theology, but uh, it's, it's wonderful. Through baptism, men and women are free from sin. Uh, we talk about that all the time, that they're free from original sin. Uh, but we don't talk as much as we should about the fact that they are reborn as children of God. And, and you know, baptism takes yeah it takes away ritual sin for adults it takes away all sin, but uh, that's the negative part of it. But but it also means we are reborn as children of God. We have God's life within us, and that's something you need to talk about 
uh, when you're preparing, um, you know, parents say for the baptism of the children, preparing anybody for baptism, and then uh, the baptism itself uh, in your homily and so forth. Um, so they're reborn as children of God and configured to Christ by an indelible character, right? So baptism has a character. That's why it can't be repeated. It has a, it has a, a character. Uh, so <coughs> configured to Christ by an indelible character, <coughs> somehow, and this is, you know, not for canon law, it's for theology, the character, um, it, it's, it, 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 it modifies your being, you know, it's, uh, your, 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 your actual being is changed uh, by this character, you know. Um, you know, when we were kids, we were told that there's a, a character printed on you. We thought it was some kind of a stamp. You know, for, but no, your, your being is, is uh, reconfigured uh, in a real sense, you know. Um, uh, when you're ordained deacons, you know, I remember when I was ordained a deacon, I, I could feel that right away. I, 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 you know, most people don't feel that, don't expect that, you know, this happens. But I felt it right away. I felt, you know, I'm different, you know, there's, you know, I kind of get it now about the claiming the word and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you're, you, you yourself are changed, you know. Um, that, that's, uh, that's the character. Um, okay, and that, and I'm sorry we don't have any more time to get into it, and that's it. So, um, and Canon 850, uh, now the celebration of baptism. Um, Canon 850, baptism is administered according to the order prescribed in the approved liturgical books, except in case of urgent necessity when only those things required for the validity of the sacrament must be observed. And what's required for the validity, validity of baptism? Water. Water and? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I baptize you. I baptize you. All right. You pour the water and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be a Christian. Just have the intention, pour the water, say the words. But if, if you're not a Christian, why would you want to do it? You'd want to become a Christian you're, at that point. You're, you're a Muslim nurse, and you're doing this out of respect for people. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. The doctor, have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So, just clarification on that. So, it actually with a rabbi. Pardon? With a rabbi. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Nurses, are, nurses are great. Okay, uh, my sister is a nurse, and my mother was a nurse, so I have special <laughs> love for nurses. Angel to God. Yeah. So, if yeah. you're unordained, and you say, I... Does it I normally say that you're doing it in the person of Christ? You, you baptize, yeah, Christ acts through you. But anybody who baptizes, Christ acts through them. But I baptize you. Not may you be baptized. I baptize you. I'm baptizing you. I'm pouring water and saying, I baptize you in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Okay? Yeah, and, and as I said, it's the same with confession. The priest must say, I absolve you. Not, I pray that God will absolve you. No, I absolve you. Um... Okay, so in an emergency, that's what you can do. Um, so my, my aunt said that with my cousin's uh, daughter. Brought her in the bathroom and baptized her. Who did that? My, my wife's aunt said that with their, uh, their niece. They brought her in the ba bathroom and baptized her because their parents wouldn't baptize them. Yeah, you hear a lot of that, you know. <laughs> uh, that was yeah. an Italian family. <laughs> okay. um, well. You're not supposed to. Well, we'll see why you're not supposed to in, uh, in some of these canons. You know, if the parents don't want it, you know why to do it. Um, canon 851, um, uh, about the celebration of baptism, uh, preparation for baptism. 
uh, celebration baptism must be prepared properly. Consequently, uh, one, an adult who intends to receive baptism is to be admitted to the catechumenate and is to be led insofar as possible through the various stages of sacramental initiation according to the order of initiation ad adopted, adapted by the Conference of Bishops and the special norms issued by it. I presume you're covering all that stuff, right? That's a big specialty of Dr. Eschenauer. Right, yeah. we're doing it in liturgy. So she, pardon? We're doing it in liturgy now. Yeah, she covers the RCIA, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever they're calling it now. Yeah, yeah. Right. well, yeah. Don't call it RCIA. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and, um, right, and also number two, the parents of an infant to be baptized and those who are to undertake the function of the sponsor are to be instructed properly in the meaning of this sacrament and the obligations attached to it. The pastor personally through others is to take care that the parents are properly instructed through both pastoral advice and common prayer, bringing several families together and where possible visiting them. So this is a whole big ministry um, in, in a parish, you know, to prepare people for baptism. And uh, uh, you have to see what's going on in your parish. Uh, and you might wanna um, yourself uh, make modifications in it, additions, you might end up being in charge of it. Um, but it's a golden opportunity, you know, as I said, because you, well, you know better than I do, you know, uh, uh, kids leave the church, you know, uh, go away to college and so on and so forth, if they've even been going to church up to that point. But then they get married, maybe outside the church, you know, but now they have, they have the first child. And now they begin to think about it in terms of, oh, wow, you know, this, you know, the future and the past and the family and all this stuff, and they begin to think, Oh, we should do things right, you know. So they come, want to have a baptism, and they don't know what they're doing. It's your it's your golden opportunity to to uh, influence them to come come closer to Christ. Canon eight fifty two. The prescripts of the canons on adult baptism are to be applied to all those who no longer infants have attained the use of reason, right? We've seen, okay, what, uh, well, let's do number two. A person who is not responsible for oneself, non sui compost, is also regarded as an infant with respect to baptism. We've seen that already, right? What an infant is, right? An infant is somebody under the age of seven, but also someone who does not have the use of reason, so it could be Joe Biden. I mean, it could be somebody. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't say that. John Kerry. It could be somebody who is, uh, you know, has, beginning of dementia or advanced dementia, whatever it might be, right? Um, <clears throat> so a person who's not responsible for oneself is regarded as an infant. Um, okay. And we'll see how that, we'll see that, how it affects things. Um, okay. Sorry? Uh, Canon 853, apart from a case of necessity, the water to be used in conferring baptism must be blessed according to the prescripts of the liturgical book. So someone asked, uh, does the Lucas water have did. to be blessed? Normally, yes, all right? Now, it doesn't say anything about validity here, right? So normally, um, it, it is to be blessed, right? But if in case of necessity, when there's an emergency, all bets are off, get the water, say the words, you know, pour the water, say the words, and that's it, you know? Other than that, you, we're, we're to do things properly, right? Um, so the water is, is to be blessed according to the prescripts of the liturgical books. That's one of the things you be able to do as a deacon. Canon right? um, 854, baptism is to be conferred either by immersion or by pouring. The prescripts of the Conference of Bishops are to be observed. So pray that they don't, nobody requires you to do immersion. Also, it's a poor story to do that. Canon 855, this is a problem these days. 
parents, sponsors, and the pastor to take care that a name for to Christian sensibility is not given. You know, I mean, in the good old days, you know, they you were required to have a saint's name. You know, now, yeah, you can get Tiffany or whatever. You know, and, uh, yeah. So Crystal. Pardon? Crystal. Yeah, Crystal. Zoe. So you know. Make sure at least the name isn't Mohammed or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Lucifer. You're Lucifer, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Satan. Yeah, Satan. <laughs> yes. So then what do you do, Father, if the, if the parents come to you and say, we're, we're baptizing her, uh, Tiffany or Crystal? Do you have an obligation to say, well, you need to pick a Christian middle name or you can't use that? Because we see it happening every day. Sean Canning. Yeah. Read Canning 55. Folks. At least it's a, it's a name... The name is informed to Christian sensibility, you know. So, um, and again, this is not for validity. Parents, it's it's an exhortation. Parents, sponsors, and pastors to take care that a name foreign to Christian sensibility is not given. So, a, a name like Crystal is neutral, you know. A name like Mohammed is definitely not. You know? so, um, um, Canon 856, although baptism can be celebrated on any day, it is nevertheless recommended that it be celebrated ordinarily on Sunday. Or if possible, the Easter Vigil for the obvious reasons that we can't get into now, theological reasons. You know, Easter is all about baptism. You know? Easter Vigil comes and there's water all over the place, right? Um, I guess that's it. Right? Um, all right. So we'll continue with the place of baptism. Uh, second, well, second hour next week. So, so stay tuned. All right. You get some kind of a communication <coughs> from from somebody, from me. Um, Maybe Cynthia Harrison about the logistics for this exam, um, and we'll see. I'll, I'll discuss it with her and, and Dr. Eisenhower. If, they, if you know, if people prefer, it's okay. We'll we'll just do it the old-fashioned way by email or whatever. Um, we'll, we'll we'll see. But I think that they want us to go this way to do to hopefully because the the whole thing about people using Zoom is is apparently here to stay at least for quite a while. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Father, yeah. um, during the mid, uh, midterm, if you have one hour, is there a class afterwards? Yes. yes. It's, the first, it's the first period. Yeah. Now, now we'll, uh, so the exam is going to be the second half? Pardon? No, the exam will be the beginning. Oh, the beginning. Okay. Yeah. There, might be a, there might be a little delay in the beginning, but we'll have like an hour. And then we'll continue with the class.